You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Tonight, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kean Bexty. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show as well as all the other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support the Rebel without ever having to spend a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, Key and Bexty paid a visit to Innisfail, Alberta. You see, for reasons that remain hazy at best, little Innisfail was targeted by members of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. What were they hoping to accomplish? <laughs> Great question. Kean will try to make sense of the madness he encountered. And we all know how Team McKenna loves to jog and cycle and snowshoe everywhere. So how did these cats amass a taxi bill of more than $100,000? Sheila Gunn-Reed will do a little forensic accounting for us. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my report on Davis Stambari of Vaughan, Ontario. He recently attended a Black Lives Matter protest in Toronto while donning blackface. Not a good idea, of course, but it makes me ponder the rules pertaining to blackface. Why did Davis get arrested and charged while our Prime Minister got re-elected? Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. Calgary. Okay, drove drove in for the uh, party. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Could you give me an example of police brutality in Innisfil? Um, I'm actually not going to talk to any media today. I'm sorry. That's just not something. There's lots of media and people talking to media over there. Um, as far as my quote on anything, I'm not going to give one. Well, you're, you're at a protest. What's your point here, if not to spread your message? I'm here to show support. That's all. To stop police brutality in the town of Innisfil with 7,000 people. To stop police brutality brutality in general. Are you, are you here to support the rally? Yes. Okay, would, would you be able to give me any examples of uh, a few racist piece of get out of here you are you I'm not a Nazi. Do you have an example of, of racism or police brutality here in Innisfil? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if anything's happened in Innisfil, but I do know there were threats against a small little group. I really don't care. Okay. It's just you that has a stick up their butt. What is black excellence? Black 
excellence actually is, is uh, so see, uh, we are we're some of our students. Uh, we actually have this show is that black people excellences. What would you? How would you respond to a shirt that said white excellence? White people, yeah, the white people always promote excellence. They don't need to be promoted, but we promote black excellences. Hi there. Are, are you from Innisfil? Huh? Are you from Innisfil? This is Rebel Beatty. I wouldn't talk to him if I were you. It's okay. Don't worry about her. Uh, are you from Innisfil? I'm from Canada. Doesn't matter. But not from Innisfil. I, the reason I want. No, the reason I ask is I just want to know if you have any example of systemic racism in this town. Why did you choose this town specifically? I don't want to answer that. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you folks, but I kind of feel like I suffered some brain damage trying to make sense out of what all those Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters were hoping to achieve. But that was the scene a few days ago in otherwise quiet little Innisfail, Alberta, which was descended upon by a gang of vulgar leftists. You see, apparently Innisfail is a racist hotbed. Alas, there was just one thing missing when it came time for the protesters to prove that hypothesis, namely that which is known as evidence. And joining me now is the man that bravely waded into that congregation of kooks and crackpots, none other than Kean Bexty. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. So, Kian, that's the thing. I mean, these were all out-of-towners that were bussed into this little town of about 7,000 people. And what I found fascinating, what wasn't shown in the clip, is that you went around to some businesses that were being run by visible minorities, and you said, you live here, you do commerce here, have you ever exp exp uh, experienced any racism? And they told you, no, so why target this place in the first place? I, well, because these radical leftists uh, hate small town Alberta, they hate what it represents. They hate, um, you know, just in the same way that they hate Queen Victoria and, and the colonization of uh, the British Empire. They hate uh, rural Alberta because it most represents what Canada used to look like. Uh, and I, it might be hard to say it, but these leftists are racist in their own right. They hate Innisfail. Be just for the sole reason that it is largely white. They think that white people are to blame for all of the world's problems, specifically um, Canada and the United States. They think, these radical leftists, that, that white people somehow have this like overarching hand to play uh, in, in the oppression, systematic oppression of black and indigenous people, uh, which is obviously not the case, but they don't know where to direct their anger, so they direct it towards the places uh, of the, with the highest concentration of, of Caucasian people, uh, which is a racist thing to do. You can be racist against white people, and that is what these people are doing by targeting and intimidating small-town Albertans. You know, you're 100% on the money, I think, Ian. The fact that Innisfail, I would imagine, is predominantly white, in their minds, therefore, it's racist because it is predominantly white, which is <laughs> classic racism. They're judging everybody in that uh, town by their skin color, not about what they're actually thinking and, what, and the deeds they're carrying out. And there doesn't seem to be any evidence for them to base this hypothesis that because there's a, a predominantly white small town in Alberta that it's racist. So uh, again, um, this was such a failed errand, I think, on their part. 
Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, this didn't go off well for them at all. Um, the optics of it looked atrocious. Of course, the CBC and CTV, they tried to do their damage control, but it just wasn't effective. Um, one, I don't know if I should say who they were with, but uh, it was a mainstream media reporter, uh, a cameraman actually walked up to me while I'm here in Toronto to say thank you for the coverage that we gave in Innisfail because no other outlet, including their own, would uh, cover the other side of the story. And I thought that was really nice. Um, unfortunately, this isn't a man in front of the camera, it's behind the camera. Um, but I, I appreciated it nonetheless, because even some people in the mainstream media saw this for what it was. It was targeted harassment of a small town who was completely innocent um, of, of the crimes that these leftists are saying they're guilty of because of the death of uh, someone who held up a pregnant woman at gunpoint in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, George Floyd's death has nothing to do with the people in, of Innisfail. The people of Innisfail are nothing but kind and delightful. Uh, same goes for every single small town in Alberta. Small town Alberta is the greatest place on earth, uh, and the people are the best people on earth because they're just so, so kind and generous. Uh, and, and the crimes that they're being, uh, crimes that they're being accused of by these radicals is just so unfair. You know, that is an incredible anecdote you told me about the man uh, behind the camera saying that. That was very brave too, Kian, because I have no doubt if you had recorded that interchange and, and, and you had uh, identified him, he'd quickly become a member of uh, cancel culture. But, you know, getting back to the protest itself, uh, Kian, and I've been to these. I was at one just a few weeks ago in Toronto when the, uh, I called them Antifa light because they were so pathetic, were protesting outside the U.S. consulate. And what I found, yet again, and what you found in Innisfail, is a complete inability for these protesters to articulate what it is that they're protesting. Now, Kian, if you're going to go to the trouble of making a sign and getting a megahorn and, you know, uh, getting on somebody's uh, lot and yelling things, wouldn't you think that they would study what the issue is that they're protesting? But again, I was astonished that the amount of ignorance on display, they were completely uneducated when it came to getting whatever point it was they were trying to get across. Yeah, um, you know, these these stories, they're, they're always interesting, trying to figure out what is the best question to ask the crowd in general while we're doing these things we call streeters. We try and think of a bunch of questions that we could ask that will sort of share their side of the story and sort of illustrate what's going mm -hmm. on at the event. Uh, and I was asking a few questions, but I realized that once I asked for an example, for some concrete evidence as to why they're there, specifically after I saw a sign uh, that this woman was, was holding saying, end police brutality. Mm -hmm. They wanted police brutality to come to a abrupt halt. So I thought, well, hmm, I wonder, is there any examples of that in Innisfail? Is there any examples of that in Alberta? Is there any examples of that in Canada? And of course, they couldn't come up with literally anything. They had no idea. And you know what the funny thing is? There's actually an example in the mainstream media at that very time of some sort of alleged police brutality in uh, up near Fort McMurray. Um, there, there was a RCMP officer that sort of tackled this indigenous chief. And I mean, the, people are saying it was police brutality, but in reality, that indigenous chief was standing off with this sort of jujitsu stance, trying to like, almost, almost like he was about to punch the police officer. And the officers tackled him. Uh, I think it was reasonable. He was drunk and disorderly. 
and so that was a fine example that they could have even said. And I would have, and if they said that, it would have been like, okay, at least you have a reason to be here. But after asking about 20 people that question, why are you here? Do you have an example of police brutality? None of them could think of even the ones that might exist. Of course, none exist actually in the town of Innisfail because Innisfail is a delightful town and the police officers there are upstanding. And Kim, one last question. I saw these signs at the Innisfail protests. I see them in Toronto. I see them in the U.S. cities uh, where these protests often turn violent. Uh, and it's that phrase, silence is violence, or in some cases modified to say white silence is violence. Mm-hmm. Now. My argument is, if I don't want to weigh in on something, I have that right. But they're saying, by being silent, I'm violent. So if I offer an opinion, and because all these protests uh, you know, are about the murder of uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis, it's a U.S. story, if I start to say, well, you know, there were some other uh, problematic things uh, occurring in society, such as we know, going by the stats, that... Uh, there are more than 90% of young black men who are killed are, done, are, are killed by other young black men. We know that fatherlessness mm-hmm. in the black community is a huge issue. Huge it's problem. somewhere about 75%. You mm-hmm. start reciting... And there's a direct correlation between that. There's a direct correlation between that and, and crimes being committed by those children once they grow up. A hundred percent. But my point is, Kian, you start breaking your silence in that regard and you're screamed at and drowned out as being a racist even though you're just reciting stats the point is Mm -hmm. is that they don't want you to offer an opinion they want you to join the group think Mm -hmm. you know and and if you don't you're committing violence isn't that amazing no yeah uh, you're you being silent is violence you uh dissenting is violence the only way you're not being violent is if you are repeating uh, actually, you know what is I find a little bit confusing uh, is a huge sort of what, what these folks are saying, these radicals are saying is white people, we want you to be here, we want you to stand up for black people, but we don't want you to say anything. That's something that they say <laughs> completely, like all the time. They're saying, we don't want you to contribute. White people have, have had their say. We just want you to shut up and stand behind the black people and give people of color, or particularly BIPOC, they call it, black or indigenous people of color, we want you to shut up and give them the opportunity to speak. So we really want you to be silent, uh, but silence is violence. Yeah, so and there's, it's, it's what, what do they really want? And I think you've touched on another little thing there, uh, Kian. These anti-racism protesters have become what they've hated. They have become racist because to saying to their white allies, we want you there in body, but keep your mouth shut, that's no different than a half century ago when blacks were being told, go to the back of the bus. Uh, but they are so tone deaf, they don't even, they can't even recognize their own inherent racism. Anyways, it was an amazing report. I'm glad you made it out of there in one piece. They're always so angry and uh, ready to render violence. That's another commonality when it comes to these people as well, uh, Kian. So in the meantime, you stay safe, my friend. Thanks, David. And I just want to add something here at the end. You're, you're right. You're, I'm glad I got out as well. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without my security guard. Uh, we have a fund going so that I can keep doing stories like this. Um, I can't get into crowds like that without security at my back. Um, I, I can't keep doing stories like this without security at my back. And uh, we, we, we need support at the Journalist Defense Fund. Uh, if you go to journalistdefensefund.com, you'll be able to help us out there.
Thank you so much, Ken. And, and that's another perverse irony, isn't it? It's not silence that is violence. Violence is violence. And if we didn't have security for Key and Bexley and our cameraman, uh, there would have been violence, uh, uh, no doubt. Ken, once again, thank you so much for weighing in and you stay safe, my friend. No problem. And that was Kian Bexty. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Today's exclusive comes to us by way of an order paper question asked by NDP MP for Edmonton, Strathcona, Heather McPherson. I know. NDP. Anyway, McPherson asked, with regard to minister's office expenses in the national capital region. So to be clear, this is in and around Ottawa. So not when the ministers are traveling. What is the total amount spent on taxis by each minister's office for each fiscal year since 2015-2016, including the current fiscal year? McPherson then goes on to ask to have the numbers broken down by specific employee. And she also asks about uber expenses she's trying to catch all their extra travel expenses now i'm not the biggest fan of mcpherson generally speaking she was an absolutely over the top ndp activist here provincially before she barely took the most ndp riding in the most ndp city in the entire province of alberta back in 2019 and i'm pretty sure she probably feels the same way about me but you know what Credit where it's due. I'll be far more fair to McPherson than she would ever be to a conservative. This question of hers reveals even more hypocrisy from my main political and comedic muse, Catherine McKenna, the former environment minister, now infrastructure minister, and of course, perennial political train wreck. During her entertaining, however, highly destructive time at environment and climate change, Minister McKenna spearheaded the carbon tax and the new gendered lens for pipeline approvals. And she is the liberal Einstein who excused arsonists in BC to then blame climate change for their forest fires a few years ago. She mistook a puffin for a penguin. She congratulated Syria for signing on to the Paris Agreement on climate change. And she wants us to believe she snowshoes to work in a skiff of snow and rides her bike in high heels in the summer, all to save on the greenhouse gas emissions. Amazing. You would think that with members of Team McKenna bicycling and snowshoeing and jogging everywhere, how could they possibly rack up a six-figure taxi bill as well? Ah, uh, but Climate Barbie and her acolytes... Well, they're pretty ingenious when it comes to living high off the hog, especially when it is the taxpayer who is paying the freight. And with more on this tale of commuting gone crazy is Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, always a pleasure. So, Sheila, a hundred grand in taxi expenses? How is this even possible? It's actually more than that. It's over 140000 but some of that the new environment minister is responsible for in his very oh. short tenure in environment. <laughs> so since the fall election, he's racked up like another 140, or another 40000 Um He's probably on track, actually, to eclipse McKenna in the same amount of time. But yeah, uh, $100,000. And let's be clear, these are not like taxi trips when they travel. So you don't have access to your own vehicle or you're unfamiliar with the local public transportation or, you know, whatever. The, it's not like when they go to these climate change conferences that they're taking taxis. However, 
I've seen that myself, (laughs) where they they are taking taxis at the UN climate change conferences. This is for when they are in and around Ottawa. So where they live and where they work, they are using taxis to get around. And that's the most outrageous part of that. They're opting to use taxis as opposed to public transportation in the city in which they live and work and charging it back to the taxpayer while also telling the rest of us to take buses and public transportation and ride our bikes. And while they're telling the rest of the world they are riding their bikes or snowshoeing or whatever the heck McKenna is paying somebody to take a photo of her doing that day. And, and Sheila, when we drill down for the nitty gritty details, when, it, when you say the word taxis, are you including like classic taxis or, or do you mean like ride sharing services like Uber and Lyft and what have you? Because, it, you know, if they're just going with the classic uh, taxi um, uh, way of uh, getting around, they're probably paying a 40 to 50 percent premium versus the ride sharing rides. These are taxis. Now, the order paper question that I based this story on did ask for Uber receipts, but this specific ministry um, in their return on the order paper question said they didn't use Uber. So this is, they're not even investigating how best to manage the taxpayer dollars. They're just going with the easy way, calling a cab and jumping here and there. And what also, there's another layer to this story. We did a big story on an access to information investigation that I had done where McKenna had the government create an internal shuttle bus system for her staffers because, I don't know, because it was necessary, because they couldn't use the actual bus, whatever. But so there's this other shuttle bus system that's out there for these bureaucrats to use, and yet still they're jumping in taxis. So they've got uh, their bikes that they can ride. They've got the local public transportation that they can use. They can also telecommute, which is what we're doing right now. Um, They've got their own shuttle bus service, and instead they are opting to take taxis just out of convenience because someone else is paying for it. But all of those things you mentioned, Sheila, I think those are just for photo ops, you know, when it comes to actually getting somewhere, it's a different story. And speaking of which, I gotta tell you, Sheila, um, whenever I've seen Minister McKenna get out of a vehicle in person, um, it is uh, like a Government of Canada appointed uh, vehicle. And by that, I mean, it's not an electric vehicle, which you think she'd be virtue signaling with, or a plug-in hybrid or just a hybrid classic. Typically, it is a ginormous V8-powered Chevy Suburban uh, that she's stepping out of. So again, um, they do have access to these uh, government-appointed SUVs, which makes me scratch my head once more. Why why is the, the taxi bill so high? I think a lot of this is like bureaucrats and staffers who Mm. are taking these taxis back and forth. Now, McKenna, I know she takes those uh, SUVs and town cars and limos. I know she does. Yeah. Um, But here's the thing. I can't get her to turn those records over to me. Um, Even though those records are kept for vehicle maintenance purposes. That's how it works. And also for driver logs. She won't turn those records over to me now that she's at infrastructure. And there's a real serious reason for that. 
when I got my hands on Christia Freeland's limo records and then I matched them up completely on a hunch to her flight logs, I discovered that she was sending her limo ahead of her airplane when she was going to places like Montreal. So deploying the limo from <laughs> Ottawa, sending it to Montreal so that she could get off the plane and get into her personal limo and then have it drive around when she's in Montreal. And then she gets on the plane, flies home, and the limo drives back to Ottawa. And I suspect that uh, McKenna's doing much the same, but if she turned those records over to me and I matched them up to her flight records, then we would know that she's even more so a climate hypocrite than, than we already know her to be. I, I mean, even the fact that she has a limo that she drives around in, even if she wasn't doing the things that Freeland is doing, sending this thing ahead of her to meet her, even if she's just racking up the kilometers on this thing, well, she's still a climate hypocrite because she wants the rest of us to snowshoe and take a bus or whatever. Well, she's riding around in a limo. She wants us to change our lifestyles, but not hers. Yeah, you know, I think you've touched upon something very important here, Sheila. It's uh, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. I mean, a Chevy Suburban, last time I checked, had a uh, multi-hundred horsepower engine. It's a V8. It takes gas. It's not running on dilithium crystals or fairy dust or anything like that. And yet, McKenna has shamelessly jumps in and out of those vehicles, even though she's preaching to the rest of us, like you said, about saving the planet by using public transit. And then we have the ultimate hypocrite, perhaps Elizabeth May, uh, the leader of the Green Party, who last Victoria Day is in a Dodge Viper. I think that's like a 640 horsepower muscle car, two-seater. And this, it's galling. It, it, to me, Sheila, it's as though they're tone deaf. They don't even realize that they're doing anything wrong when it comes to their preaching and what it is they do in their actual day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, you need that kind of horsepower, though, to haul around their massive egos, though, don't you? <laughs> uh, they, they want everybody else to live as though um, the... Combust internal combustion engine was never invented. Yep. And yet they are the biggest, uh, to use Ezra's words, a climate hypocrite. Um, Elizabeth May has, the, I would suggest, one of the longest commutes in the House of Commons. She routinely takes a private jet for the purposes of social distancing, um, <laughs> as opposed to telecommuting. And yet she's the one telling me that I have to drive fewer kilometers and that you know, that I should pay a higher carbon tax to dry grain or to seed my crops. That's who these people are. They, they can't even look in the mirror and examine their own climate crimes. It's all about somebody else. It's just astonishing. Uh, Sheila, great story. Thanks for uncovering this. I'll be thinking long and hard about this on my commute home in my <laughs> plug-in hybrid vehicle, which you hate so much. Embarrassing. But, but, <laughs> but I get to drive by myself in the HOV lane. That's why I bought it. But Sheila, once again, thank you so much on this great story. Thanks, David. Have a great weekend. You too. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the far north of northern Alberta. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
David Menzies for Rebel News here in Vaughan, Ontario. Well, folks, as you know, last weekend there were protests in literally hundreds of cities the world over regarding the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Naturally, there were protests here in Ontario as well, but there was one that was very unique, and that was the one at Toronto's Nathan Phillips Square when a man who was later identified as 28-year-old Davis Stambazi showed up wearing blackface. Now, he was only there for a few moments. People were agitated. And, uh, well, here is some video evidence of Davis's visit to Nathan Phillips Square last week. Now, police led uh, Davis away and charged him with a breach of peace that was later upgraded to a charge of cause a disturbance. And um, we were mystified uh, as to why Davis did that. Uh, what could be the rationale? Was it to take a political stab at Justin Trudeau? As you know, our prime minister has literally lost count of how many times he's donned brownface and blackface. Um, we know he's done it on at least three occasions. So was this a, a, a middle finger of sorts to our prime minister? Or was he just, as the Bruce Springsteen lyric goes, wearing trouble on his shirt? He was hoping to cause a confrontation, which I think would have invariably happened had police not stepped in. We did track down where he lives in Vaughan, and we paid a visit uh, to his home. He lives with his parents in this quiet neighborhood here, and, um, well, they didn't really want to talk about it. Alas, we received the silent treatment from the parents of Davis, and we also received a convoluted text message from Davis stating that he didn't want to come on camera either. Yet, in the aftermath, I'm left to ponder, what are the rules when it comes to donning blackface these days? After all, Davis gets arrested for doing so, whereas our illustrious Prime Minister, Justin Diversity is our strength, Trudeau, well, he gets re-elected. How bizarre is that? In any event, here's what some of you had to say about this super weird story of a man showing up at a Black Lives Matter protest donning what appears to be black shoe polish on his face. Frank Musico writes, he was charged with impersonating the Canadian Prime Minister. Oh my goodness, Frank, I didn't know such a charge existed. You have my word, folks, from this day forward, I will not be doing any more Bollywood-style dancing. Jomama writes, he didn't cause a disturbance, the other people did. Well, you know, Jomama, you are right, the demonstrators were violating social distancing laws, but you won't see any of those people getting those $880 tickets. And hey, what about that water that was tossed in the face of Davis? That's actually assault. But again, no charges. Wonder why? Mr. J writes, maybe he was going to the protest after a hard day of chimney sweeping. Hey, Mr. J, I think that would be my defense in court. Anna Vaja writes, tell him just Tell him to just say he was young at the time and didn't know better and that he's pissed off at himself. That's what the PM did and everyone was fine with that. 
Yes, Anna, Justin dodged yet another career-killing bullet by pleading that he was basically young and ignorant. Wonder if the judge and the social media mob will buy that excuse should Davis decide to employ it. And Valak Stradivarius writes, I love it, not really. The protesters asking to defund the police were happy the police took them away. Talk about hypocrisy. Great point, Valak. You know, when it looks like when it comes to the cop haters, well, even for them, the cops can be useful in certain instances after all. Jason Briscoe writes, that charge is going to get dropped faster than Bill Clinton's pants in the Oval Office. Oh, you mean weren't factor nine? No, nothing is quite that fast, but I'll be sure to drop by the Toronto Courthouse next month just to see what sort of fate awaits Davis. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.